Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight, the 17th of August, uh, another Thursday evening show, and uh, we're going to start things off here in just a few moments with another great round of Coach's Corner. I've got uh, my panel all uh, ready and, and waiting here in the wings, and uh, a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by uh, PJ Professional and owner of the James Kyle Golf Academy, of course, James Kyle, and joining him is going to be the founder and developer of Aimpoint Golf, uh, Mark Sweeney. Uh, on the second half of the show, so you want to make sure you stick around for that. Um, of course, uh, if you're listening to the show, you know how to find us, but for those that maybe uh, have just sort of come by happenstance, uh, let me just uh, fill everybody in on how you can find the show. Uh, go to blogtalkradio.com, and up in the search key, just type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And uh, we are live uh, Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, or 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast, and that's 4 to 6 p.m., uh, on Pacific time for those of you that are on the West Coast. Um, for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry, just go to that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and just scroll down a little bit on the page. You'll see the on demand section, and that's where all of the previously aired uh, programs are, are sitting in their, their entirety. So uh, if you can't join us live tonight, or maybe you weren't able to uh, catch last week's show, uh, you can just go to the on-demand section and listen there. Uh, for some of you that maybe like a, a little different platform, uh, for instance, if you like going to iTunes uh, or even Stitcher.com, uh, you can go to either of those, and under the podcast section, you can just look, uh, again, for Golf Talk Live, and you can listen on either of those uh, platforms as well. So lots of ways to find us. Of course, I update everything on social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and, of course, on my LinkedIn, LinkedIn page, excuse me, so you can always find uh, the shows there. Uh, my Twitter handle, by the way, is Ted and Buck CEO, and that's CEO in capital letters. Um, so you can find me there. And thank you for all of the recent followers uh, on Twitter. Uh, got, as I said, I've got a great show for you tonight. I'm uh, going to be joined by three great professionals, uh, Paul Castor, Mike Faye, and Bill Abrams. And let me just tell you a little bit about them, and then I'm going to bring them on so we can get right into our discussion because we've got, we got some meat in the discussion today. So I want to make sure that uh, I give these guys ample opportunity to, uh, to talk about it. Uh, as I said, Paul Castor is on the show. He's a uh, golf coach and director of instruction at Forest Gate Country Clubs. He's also a member of the proponent group, uh, the premier network of golf instructors and coaches. Uh, he's also TPI and KVEST, uh, KVEST excuse me, certified and a national staff member uh, for the Seymour Putter Institute. Uh, Mike Fay also uh, on the show, and he's the PGA Director of, of Player Performance at the Boyne Golf Academy. He's got 20-plus uh, uh, experience uh, as a teacher professional, and it's easy to see uh, why Mike has become a leader in the world of golf instruction. Uh, very smart and very knowledgeable about the business, everything from cutting-edge social uh, networking techniques to having a mobile app. He's also helped change the face of teaching golf, plus he's the host of the Mike Fay Golf Show, so you want to make sure you tune in for that, and we'll ask him about that. 
uh, in a few moments. Uh, and last but not least, rounding out the panel, of course, is Bill Abrams. He's a PGA professional and the owner and director of instruction of Golf Solutions Academy at the Balmoral uh, Woods Crate in Illinois and the uh, Carolina Club in Margate, Florida. Uh, he's a 2015 Illinois PGA Professional of the Year and the 2015 and 16 Golf Reigns Association of America Top 50 uh, Growth of the Game teacher. He's also U.S. Kids Golf Top 50 Master Teacher and uh, as he puts it, he specialized in making players smile, and that's what we're all about here on the show. Uh, guys, uh, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for having Thanks us, Thanks for having Ted. us, Ted. Thank it's you. Awesome. Thanks. Boy, I'll tell you, you guys got a lot to get out, get out in, in your bios here, and that's just the short version. I hate to see the long version. You guys are well, well-deserved and well-earned accolades, that's for sure. Um, guys, as I told you off the air, and by, and by the way, just to, uh, I just want to touch real briefly. Um, unfortunately, we were having a discussion. I'm not going to get into it now. We'll, we'll save that for another show. But uh, just as a couple of you there were, were getting into uh, some of your comments, we went live on the show. So uh, we'll carry that discussion another time. But uh, tonight we're going to talk on the Coach's Corner panel. We're going to talk about common swing faults, and there's a lot of them. We're going to try and get through as many as we can tonight. And for those of you tuning in live uh, on the broadcast here tonight, uh, we want to make sure that you really pay attention because a lot of the ones we're going to talk about here are very, very common. So, guys, I'm just going to read out uh, an opening statement here, and then we're going to get right into the, uh, to the questions here. Um, most amateur golfers, of course, have some form of a swing uh, fault. Uh, this can, these can be caused mainly by physical limitations in the body, which can create an improper or inefficient uh, swing pattern. Uh, the most simple swing fault can cause a loss, uh, everything from a loss of distance uh, to consistency, as well as put uh, you, the golfer, at uh, risk for injury. And one of the first ones that we're going to talk about, guys, uh, is uh, what's referred to as the S posture. And I'm going to give you just a little description on that and a little bit of some of the physical causes of that, and then we're going to get into uh, discussing uh, a little bit more in detail. Uh, the S posture is basically a swing characteristic caused by a golfer creating too much arch uh, in their lower back uh, while in their setup position. So if you uh, can visualize for, for somebody that's in their uh, address position, essentially they're going to start with a little bit of a curvature in their shoulders, um, in other words, they're going to have sort of a rounded shoulder. And then uh, more commonly what happens is they get their, their glutes or their butt muscles uh, arching out too much, and it creates sort of an inward indentation in their lower back. So it, if you look at it from the side or down the line view, it's kind of that S-looking uh, posture. Uh, some of the physical causes uh, is, of course, muscle imbalance. Uh, the lower cross syndrome is often referred to, and it's simply a, uh, a grouping of weak muscles combined with uh, overactive or tight muscles that create a predictable movement pattern uh, in the lower back. And this pattern can, of course, lead to injury if it's uh, repeated. So I, I want to start, Bill, with you uh, on this discussion. Uh, obviously, this is a posture that's not conducive to making good golf swings. Is this something that you've seen uh, a lot with some of your students, with some of your high handicap amateurs? And what do you try to do to help them alleviate that? Yeah, a few things is, you know, we definitely have to go into a physical screen, as you said, with TPI and the trainers I work with when we have uh, uh, an acute issue like that. But I, I feel some of that S-posture has come over the years, too, with the old adage of sticking your rear end out. And that, at times, right. people over-exaggerate that, and then it gets them into a, an awkward position. One of the things that I'll, I'll mention to them is feel like they tuck the rear end or get it underneath them a little bit more, and that's will flatten the back out just a little bit because that S posture has a horrible effect on balance. It has on uh, weight shift and everything down the line. It just can create such a um, 
such a huge problem for people. It basically makes the things immobile that need to be mobile and the things that need to be mm-hmm. um, a little bit more, uh, you know, structured in the body and giving them a little bit more stability, it, it takes them and moves them away. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Mike, I want to jump to you next, um, just keeping on this theme for just a, a second or two more, and then, then I want to move on because I know we've got a lot of things to talk about, and uh, you know, obviously we don't want to get too repetitive. Um, one of the things that I, I – and, and just sort of um, for a side note, guys, uh, a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about I, I've done intentionally just to kind of see how it affected me. In other words, I've put myself in that S posture just to see uh, obviously what it looks like but how it inhibits – one of the things that I noticed with this, Mike, is that it really inhibited my, my swing, both in the backswing and also in the downswing, in order to maintain, because obviously we want to, as best we can, maintain your posture throughout the swing. Um, when you get into an incorrect posture, it can inhibit a lot of your uh, swing movements. Um, what do you, again, in your opinion, what do you try to do to help people alleviate that? And have you noticed this with some of your students as well? Yeah, more often I see with when we're talking about S posture versus C posture, but S posture, um, you know, feels right. It uh, mostly it, we've been taught to stick your butt way out, and what ends up happening is that our abdominal muscles aren't sucked in enough, and then it turns into S posture, and we can't turn, and we end up moving sideways too much in the golf swing. And that causes lots of problems. I mean, you could feel it too, Ted, right? You you can't move yeah. when you're stuck like that. Um, and inhibits, you know, moving the legs and everything. So, you know, I see it a lot in better players. I'm correcting that mm-hmm. and fixing that and getting them to tuck their butt up underneath there so that they can actually move better. So it's good. Yeah. Um, and, Paul, just real quickly on, and touch on this a little bit. Um, Mike just raised a very interesting point that a lot of people don't realize um, – the ab muscles can affect posture, uh, obviously, a lot as well. If people have very weak ab muscles, um, they tend to uh, o- overcompensate in other ways. And by sticking their rear, as, as Mike and Bill has pointed out, a little bit too far out there, um, if the ab muscles are weak and not able to support that, it's only going to be exacerbated. So um, is there anything that we can do or advise some of our students um, to maybe do to, one, avoid getting into this and maybe strengthening those core muscles a little bit that will help keep them in a, a better posture. Um, Paul? Uh, yeah, sure. I think, I think feeling like your abs are just kind of mildly engaged, I guess, is a good way to put it. Um, over the golf ball is a good thing. You, you know, it's a, good, it's a good practice to feel like you're taking the club away uh, with your chest and abs kind of. Um, and so they have to be engaged and they have to be strong enough. Um, and so doing crunches, um, on your own, uh, you know, if you can do, you know, 50, uh, on a daily basis, you're going to be a better golfer. Um, just something as simple as that. I think there are lots of more complicated exercises that you could get into. Um, but just, you know, something that simple is going to make you swing the golf club better. It's going to make you feel more stable over the golf ball. Um, it'll probably even make you feel better when you're putting because making sure that your abs are engaged in your putting posture is also really important uh, to make, make sure that you feel nice and stable. Right. Um, Well said guys, by the way. Um, And this moves in Mike and I'm going to jump to you next. And then uh, on our next question, Paul, I'll I'll go to you. Um, 
this brings us, of course, to the C posture. Mike, you had mentioned this as well. And this is just for the folks that maybe aren't familiar with that, and, and obviously we don't have the ability for a visual here. Um, this occurs when the shoulders, as I mentioned earlier, are kind of slumped forward at address, and there's a definite roundness to the back from the tailbone uh, to the back and neck. So it, it kind of gives you that look, again, a down the line look of, of a C. Uh, and this, of course, will more often than not force players to keep their backswing very short and wide, uh, or otherwise they'll find it very difficult to maintain that posture. So obviously some of the physical causes uh, of a C posture can simply be a result of poor setup position and uh, be corrected with physically adjusting the posture to a more neutral spine. Uh, majority of, of C postures are caused by a series of, of muscle imbalances and joint restrictions that uh, develop over years. So this is something, Mike, would you agree, um, certainly can happen with anybody, but more uh, often not maybe in some of our older golfers that, that have lost some of the flexibility and kind of get into that slumped over posture. Uh, obviously, this is something I know that you've seen. Um, wh what do you recommend for this, and, and what is some of your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I see it a lot. I see it not just with older people, but with people that work at a desk. And yes, their, their arms are way out in front of them, and their scapula is pulled apart, and that's, they're stuck like that, and they do that all day long, right? So, you know, it's very, very important to, you know, take a break when you're at your desk and actually try and pull your scapula back and pull your chest and pull your chest up and, and get it back there because, you know, we watch it. I mean, people walk like that too. Um, it's not just in golf um, because they're always stuck like that in their daily lives. So when I bring it up to people like that and talk about that kind of stuff and then start to give them exercises to open up their chest, try and get them to stand up taller and bring it up to them because to be honest with you, most of them don't even know they're doing it. And, you know, like you were saying, some of the things that can happen, I mean, arms running in the chest too fast, they stand up, they move too much to the side, they can't get a big enough yep. back swing because they just don't have the room to do it. So, um, you know, bring it, just bring it to people's attention like that. It really, really helps in getting them into a better, better spine angle at address. Right. Well said. Um, Paul, I think one of the other issues here, you know, uh, and obviously this applies to all of them, of course, uh, we want to uh, have good core muscles. But one of the, the things that uh, I think happens with uh, those folks that have C posture issues um, as opposed to S posture is, uh, again, as Mike put, you know, they're, they're at a desk maybe a lot now with many of us that work on computers a lot during the day. Um, they develop that sort of roundedness and, and outstretched uh, arms as it is. And so a lot of the, the muscles in the shoulders and in upper back, if you will, um, become very weak and loose and, and not, uh, you know, not very, um, you know, create a, a bad posture even without getting into the golf uh, positions. Um, so obviously some exercises are, are in order. Uh, what other things do you suggest um, to the folks out there that might be listening and maybe suffer from the same type of uh, issue, uh, Paul? Oh, I think uh, you have to know where you should be and what a proper posture should feel like. Um, so simple way of, of doing that would be to stand up straight up and down uh, with your feet shoulder width apart, hold a club basically like right against your face, right under your nose, hold it against your chest and then with one hand and then bend over and let the club go right through your legs and kind of get in the address posture and if you can touch kind of the, you know, the top of your knee with your other hand, 
you know you're about you're you're bent over the right amount and with the club up up the front of your body like that it's going to have a tendency to kind of straighten your spine out and so for the first you know for a lot of people for the first time who have c posture they'll feel what they should you know what a proper posture should feel like with their shoulders back uh in a, in a better alignment um that's actually that's an uh, uh, a posture exercise that KVS developed um and then right. I think, you know, rolling out, um, rolling out the upper back with, uh, like a foam roller, um, or using some tennis balls, you know, taped together or something like that. I, I think a foam roller is really great. Um, but putting basically most of your weight lying on your back, putting bas- most of your weight on, on a foam roller and kind of rolling it up and down the the upper part of your back between your shoulder blades. Um, if mm-hmm. you have C posture, it's going to tend to loosen up a lot of the, uh, the, the tightness in that region, which that's the thoracic region of your spine. And that tends to be what causes the, the curvature. Right. Well said, Dan, some great, uh, some great tips. Um, Bill, obviously there's some folks out there that, um, can't get into a good posture and often get into that C posture, not just as the other two gentlemen talked about, whether it be that they're working, uh, you know, at a desk all day, um, but also maybe they're a little out of shape. They, you know, there's, there's some guys out there, let's face it, that got a little bit too much around the midsection. And a lot of times they, they have to get into kind of a funky looking posture in order just to be comfortable. Um, you know, and we don't want to certainly offend our, our students, uh, but sometimes we have, have to have an honest, dialogue with them uh what do you do in a case like that well one of the things i we have to be able to allow them to identify what's going on um i found it's pretty practical to have them feel like their head stays on top of their spine a little bit as we know if your head Mm -hmm. with that c posture your head starts and your chin starts to dip into your chest i'll have the player say they'll set up that way i say take a very deep breath and it's very difficult for them i'll have them come up a little bit where their head gets more on top of the spine and that 17-pound weight, once it gets back in position and balance, it makes the breathing easier. So I think the first thing is when they're aware of it and can identify it, then we can start to address it. And that's to me, is a real simple way to do it. And just that simple idea, you know, with folks that, you know, they may not go through a, a physical uh, training or, or whatever, but to get them to at least a position where it doesn't, you know, with that C posture, how much with that head down, inhibits the, the the weight shift, the balance. I mean, just go to, up and down the, the stack of things that we need to do well. It pretty much has a bad influence mm-hmm. on just about everything. But just that little little simple tip of taking a breath, and you, mean, you can do that yourself. Put your chin in your chest, take a deep breath, and then put your head more back on top of your spine and take a deep breath, and it feels entirely different. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and you know, Bill, a lot of folks you'll see um, – will actually fall into a, a, a bad posture because their head is too far into their, into their chest. They've got their chin down into their chest, and conversely, the, the rest of the, the spine sort of tilts in, in order to compensate. And, uh, again, you get that sort of a C posture. Um, great answers, guys. And, and um, I just want to touch very quickly uh, on this last one here, and then I want to get into some, some other areas, uh, some other uh, common swing faults. And... and this is actually, I think, Mike, you actually touched on this a little bit in, in one of your answers, but a, an actual loss of posture. And, and simply what that means is um, 
any sort of significant alteration uh, from the body's original setup angles uh, during the golf swing. So you've gotten into a good position, uh, but somewhere in your, your swing, more often than not, it happens in the backswing. We've seen this all uh, too often. Uh, the golfer will stand up. Uh, and a lot of times, um, I think what happens is it's a lack of flexibility. The golfer has uh, muscles are too tight in a lot of areas, especially in the glutes and, and, uh, and the uh, legs uh, quite often are very, very tight, or maybe even in the lower back. So in order to alleviate that pressure, they're going to stand up. And uh, obviously, in the downswing, they've now got to lower their posture in order to be able to make contact with the ball. And depending on how the club face, if it's lagging too far behind or, or if they've snapped it shut, uh, can result in all kinds of things. So uh, I don't want to get into a big uh, discussion unless any of you have anything you want to add to that. But that's, I think, pretty much uh, safe to say that that's really summarized sort of the loss of posture is when we sort of come out of the posture, either up or down, uh, and some of the things that can ultimately happen. Uh, anyone want to jump in and, and add anything further on that? Or are we good? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty good. You could you could probably add early extension to that in some ways. But, um, no, I like the – I mean, I think the, the most common backswing fault you see is people coming up and out of their posture, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's – I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why that happens. But more often than not – uh, again, it's, you know, most people come out of a posture because they're uncomfortable. Uh, it's not because they choose to do it uh, or necessarily bad swing mechanics. It's usually because it's to compensate for something that's not feeling right. So if they stand up, it's because there's a tightness that they're trying to alleviate the pressure. Uh, and a lot of times that's, they come out of that posture. Um, all right, Paul, we're going to start with you on this one here. Uh, and this is over the top. Uh, a very, very common, uh, is really probably the most common swing fall among uh, high handicap golfers. It usually is because of the overdominance of the upper body during the downswing, uh, and as a result, uh, the club is thrown outside of the intended swing plane. Uh, and w- when the club is uh, sort of approaching the ball in and then out in motion, it creates uh, a pull if the club face is square or a slice if the club face is open. So uh, this swing fault uh, can cause a tremendous loss of power and limit. Uh, one's ability to control the ball flight. Uh, Some of the physical causes, of course, is inability to separate movements of the lower body from the upper body and doesn't allow the lower body to lead uh, the golf swing as it should. So, um, and again, usually reduced uh, spinal and hip mobility causes uh, this sort of limited uh, pelvis to thorax separation. So talk a little bit about uh, more about the over the top. I know I've given you the the general view, uh, Paul, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue our conversation. Sure. Yeah. I think it's very, very common. Uh, I think, um, a lot of times you see it with players who come out of their posture in the backswing and go into flat shoulder plane. Uh, meaning they, they turn, um, sometimes trying to get a little bit more turn because they've heard that that could be helpful. And, and then they kind of come out of their posture, uh, their shoulders, instead of turning on kind of a, an inclined plane, um, are turning, now much more flat, almost like horizontal. Um, and from there, there, there really is no, uh, it's much, much harder for them to, to turn back into the golf ball and get their lower body going first. And the natural reaction is to kind of throw the golf club out um, with their right shoulder in their hand. Uh, and I think a lot of times that backswing situation will create the downswing. Um, a lot of times also it's just a very tight grip 
uh, or regripping the club at the top of the backswing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of golfers feel like they can still generate a little bit more power uh, by kind of grabbing the golf club at the very top. And what we know about the kinematic sequence uh, is that if you do that uh, and you tighten up your hands, it kind of ruins the order in which your body has to sequence itself back into impact. Um, so grip pressure is very important, you know, trying to keep your hands as kind of as soft as they can be uh, while still maintaining control of the, of the golf club. Um, and I think for a lot of players feeling like they're turning their, their front shoulder down when they take, take their backswing, um, those two things help a lot of people kind of set the table for a better downswing. Yeah, I agree. Um, Bill, one of the other things too, and, and I know uh, Paul touched a little bit on this as well. Um, you know, obviously coming out of the posture is, is a definite uh, recipe for coming over the top, but also a lot of players, um, you know, that, that overswing in their backswing. Um, maybe they need to uh, make a little more compact of a backswing they get over uh, over anxious, I guess, or overzealous in their backswing, and you know they they're wrapping themselves up like a top, um, and then you know obviously the body can only move in a certain way, and if they get over uh, extended, if you will, and then trying to come back in, a lot of times their body can only move one way, and it forces that uh, uh, trailing shoulder out, uh, and conversely their arms will follow uh, coming over the top. Um, talk about your experiences uh, with some of your students, if you will. And uh, is there anything specific that you like to do to, to help some of your golfers uh, uh, get away from coming over the top? Yeah, you hit on that pretty well. Um, what I find a lot is, you know, there's a couple root causes that I see. The weight starts getting outside the trail leg, a right-handed player, that would be the right. I prefer to see them stay mm-hmm. inside the inside line of spikes on their shoe. The weight mm-hmm. shift never, and it keeps the center of pressure in a better position there. I always say to it, it it almost feels like a player, once they break that, that brace or so, the weight goes to the outside of the trail foot, then it, then it all breaks loose. The arms start to try to create all the speed coming down and square the club, and there's just no way that they can do it efficiently. And that's the biggest key that I see a lot. Uh, at times, too, I'll even have a player, they'll get too narrow, which will facilitate that poor motion. I have them widen up just a little bit. It'll feel like their swing shortens. And they get into that right side and are able to, you know, brace a little better and have something to push off of and keep the club from uh, pathing out and across. And, you know, the body track has helped us immensely explain this to people and show them the, the trace with it would be going from the, uh, say, the trail toe to the, uh, the lead heel where they're cutting across the ball that way. Um, the weight will actually, even the center of pressure will go that direction too. We'll see that on many occasions. So when we can show them, the way that the weight needs to shift and the center of pressure needs to move, it it opens their eyes up immensely. Where they'll feel like a little bit more on the trail on the backswing, they they load low into the trail side and then spring up into the front side, and that prevents that motion completely. And it's coming out of that posture, straightening up on the way back. There's no way you can do that. Yeah, yeah, because you know every action has an opposite reaction, and this is what you know what we've tried to explain here is, you know, if you're coming out of your posture, in other words, if you're standing up, as we've all talked about, um, you know, when you're coming into the downswing, well, obviously you can't stand up more. You have to come down. And, you know, if you've 
I mean, I, I had a student, and I, I mentioned this uh, a while back uh, on one of the shows, where you know I, I videotaped him right from the get-go, and just because he wanted to see what things were looking at, and I, and as soon as I saw it, there was um, a building in the background, um, probably maybe about a hundred yards away, and the way he was set up in his posture, the um, roof line was actually at the top of his head. So I sort of used that as a reference point. And what was interesting is, now obviously he wasn't physically doing this, but his head actually moved the equivalent of six inches above that, that roof line of that building in his backswing. And then, of That's course, in his follow-through, he, he actually well, – <laughs> Yeah, you're not kidding. And then he actually moved um, when he came into his downswing. He not only recapped the six inches, but then he actually went two inches below the roof line uh, in through impact. Now, he actually hit the ball. Um, so his head actually moved, in theory, moved eight inches. And, you know, this is not an older guy. He's pretty young. He's probably in his uh, late 30s, so he's still got some flexibility. Well, when I showed him that video... He was actually surprised because he didn't think. He said, I knew I knew I come out a little bit, but he said, I never realized that much. And, you know, of course, he was coming over the top and, uh, you know, all kinds of mishits. We, we know all the drills that, that, that uh, happen when, when somebody does that. But a lot of people don't realize, and, and I want to go back just a little bit very quickly and sort of recap, and I don't know whether you guys do this or, or um, you know, encourage your students to do this, um, but I want to talk just very quickly about the posture again. I think one of the things that I do personally and I recommend to all of my uh, students that I work with is if you don't have one, go out and get one. You can get one very cheaply. I talked about this on Tuesday's show. Um, get, get yourself a mirror. Uh, I say roughly about uh, five to six feet tall and at least about two feet wide. You can go to any um, Home Depot or any of your uh, Lowe's or, or something, whatever equivalent is in your area, and just have them throw a cheap frame uh, around it so that you don't, you know, cut yourself if you don't have one in your house. And the and what I try to do myself, because I've got one here in my place, is I practice getting into the, my posture. And I practice all the different positions that looking at a mirror so that I can see, make sure I'm doing everything correct. And you'd be surprised at how many people don't realize what they're doing uh, incorrectly because they can't see it. And I don't know what – guys um, – please chime in, but uh, do you guys do anything? I mean, I know we shoot video and we show them the video and that, but when people are away from the home, uh, do you guys encourage anybody to, to, if they've got a mirror, to to do setups like that as well or or what, Uh, uh, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Mirror work is so important, Um, especially when we're trying to fix a dress posture and things like that, ball position, being able to see it. You know, we show them pictures and we show them on the – you know, on the phone or we have gears and things like that here at Boeing, but, you know, highly encourage them to get in front of the mirror and see what's going on. What does it feel like versus what it looks like? And making that change, you know, sometimes takes time for sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bill, uh, what about yourself? Uh, Do you encourage that as well? I mean, obviously anything that we can do to help our students, but, uh, I think, as, as Mike just pointed out, I think it's a great way, and I know from my own personal experience, um, you know, using a mirror and doing some of these drills and, and setting up in the posture and, and even going through the full swing and just watching the positions 
through a mirror does just a myriad of, of good for my golf game. Uh, what about you, and, and what do you recommend for your students? Yeah, I, I do a lot of uh, a lot of things uh, set up wise with players, use, utilizing at home and mirrors away from the course and on the course. Uh, one of the things that I use a ton to really focus in on the balance and stability is having them practice their posture by closing their eyes. As soon as you close yes. your eyes, if you're leaning left, leaning right, on the heels, on the toes, or in a compromised position, and or even you know an S posture position, for instance, or a C posture, you'll feel it very quickly because once your eyes take away from focusing on a spot, you have to strictly be on <laughs> flying on instruments for better, better or worse. And that's one of the things I really focus on uh, with players is to have you know little drills that we can do at home sometimes that will be mm-hmm. posture. You know whether it's using a mirror, practicing standing on one leg when you're um, in the kitchen doing things, things of that nature that really help them get a better awareness of where they need to be, you know, stability, balance-wise, and, and ultimately posture-wise. Yeah. Um, Paul, something that I used to do um, as well, um, you know, is I, I remember years ago um, when Nick Faldo shot one of his first videos with uh, David Ledbetter when he was still working with David, and, uh, you know, he would talk about posture, and he'd set down all the, uh, you know, all the sticks and things to, to show the alignment and things like that, and this, of course, was before DVDs. This was still VHS. So I would pause when he would get into that, that perfect position, and I would actually get a piece, just a thin piece of masking tape, and I would just run it from ground to, to the top of his head, uh, and I would just you know, imitate where that, where that went through and, and the club shaft and so forth like that. So there's a lot of different things. Uh, what about your, your uh, students, Paul? Do you uh, try to encourage people to do, as Bill and, and Mike have said, uh, things at home? Uh, when they're away from the golf course, like using a mirror or using uh, uh, some other instrument to, to be able to, to uh, you know, pattern themselves uh, with some good uh, fundamentals? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have, uh, I use K-Player uh, and K-Best, obviously, but K-Player is kind of like a training unit that my students have access to to help them learn and get some biofeedback um, to learn proper posture uh, and set up positions. Um, but when they're at home, I mean, just like what you just said, I was, I was thinking that while listening to you guys talk about this, you know, put creating basically like a framework on a mirror with, with tape. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that every time you set up, uh, you set up kind of sideways (laughs) looking, looking to your right at the mirror. Um, and you're, and your posture is basically repeated every single time the correct way. You know, it's very quick, easy way to do it. It really only takes, you know, maybe five, ten minutes a day um, of doing something like that, and you're going to get that reinforcement that you need to create a new a habit, you know. So um, mirror work is very important. Uh, using phones, you know, everybody's everybody loves their phone these days. We, uh, yep. we have all kinds of devices that we can use to hold a phone on a golf bag uh, or on an alignment mm-hmm. rod and get some feedback while you're hitting golf balls too. Um, and as long as you kind of recreate the lines that you put on your mirror, you can do that with, you know, any of the apps that are out there that allow you to draw lines on video. So um, yep. you can definitely take that to the range. Yeah. And that's an excellent point. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many times in, in, you know, on social media we see everybody taking a selfie. Well, what a great selfie to do is, 
you know, uh, shoot yourself out on the golf course or at the practice tee um, and, and, you know, do your own video. And there's all kinds of products out there that can help you do that. And apps, as you said, uh, Paul, as well, that can help you uh, do some of these things. And, and really, nowadays, guys, there's no excuse for players um, not being able to um, get access to – there's a wealth of information. I know all of you guys have websites and, and uh, you know, and or academies or you're working, uh, you know, for, for uh, uh, premium uh, organizations where you have access to some of the best tools uh, in the business. So there's really no excuse that your students uh, can't utilize this. Um, it's just a matter of them, you know, making the time to do so. And there's a lot of great tips as we've all talked about um, that they can do even in their own home. So even if they can't make it out to your facility, uh, maybe this week, there's some things that you can give them to, to work on at home. Um, Mike, I want to jump back to you on, on this one. I think it's your turn. Uh, and, and the Sway, uh, you, I know we've touched a little bit about that, but the Sway, of course, is uh, an excessive lower body lateral movement away from the target uh, during the backswing and, of course, uh, forcing that, that weight on the outside of the back. You there? Ted? Ted, you there? I know. I don't hear him. Okay. Uh, I'm back. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Hello? Ted, I'm yeah, here. I got Hello. you. Yep. Okay. Can Can you hear me now, guys? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, anyways, Mike, the question was to you, and we were talking about swaying. Um, mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit about that, the, the lateral movement, uh, obviously in the backswing, some of the problems that it causes, and uh, what you try to do to help your students fix uh, a situation like that. Yeah, swaying is tough. It, it's uh, not a lot of fun. One of the biggest problems is that it moves uh, the ball, the bottom of your swing too far behind the golf ball. So um, one of the ways that I work with my players with TPI is learning how to turn the right hip better, uh, trying to keep the weight more centered in their golf swing. And, um, you know, a lot of times we find that it's physical limitations uh, through TPI that that's the reason why they do this stuff uh, with a slide. Not a lot of fun, causes all kinds of problems. So, just getting them to rotate their hips in the backswing uh, to keep their weight more centered and their center of pressure more in the middle of their body it definitely helps for sure. Yeah, and and Bill, you know, swaying has I found uh, certainly can happen for anybody, but particularly tall players. I'm I'm very tall. I'm mm-hmm. six foot four. Uh, got a lot of length in my legs. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm prone to, to naturally a little bit of a sway and, and a slight sway, I, I guess is okay. Um, a little bit of lateral movement is okay as long as it's minimal. Um, but it has to be mixed with the right amount of, of, uh, hip rotation or turn, if you will. And, um, as Mike just pointed out, when you get too much of a sway and you get onto the outside of that back foot, um, then you're, you're asking for all kinds of problems. And that moves into what we refer to as the slide having to, literally laterally move again just to come back to where the ball is. Um, talk a little bit about that, and is there anything, any tricks or techniques, if you will, uh, that you try to help your golfers with um, to, to avoid either the swaying or, or sliding of, of their uh, lower bodies? 
Well, I, I've got that tall thing covered because I beat you by about an inch and a quarter. So I'm I'm yeah. talking of what I, I know. Um, I right. uh, I really see one of the things that we try to do is really keep the lower body a little more braced, and we do this with stance width. Um, also, when we're showing video, when the legs are coming straight down, sometimes that doesn't allow that allows the weight to get over. I really focus on players engaging the ground on the inner spikes of both shoes. When they, when they can feel that ground engage, the likelihood that the weight gets outside that right foot, it really helps helps things immensely. And, you know, I, I find that at times it really it becomes a bit of an issue, you know, when a player gets a little bit narrow or, you know, they try to do a little bit too much. If they can engage that, you know, and almost to the point where they're a little knock-kneed to get that feeling of how the, the weight actually will shift and it doesn't get outside the right foot, you know, I'll put a, uh, an alignment stick down um, on a, a right-handed player right through the on the ground on the right foot and have them set the foot right on top of the middle of it and just have them focus on wh- where's it rolling over, where's it staying inside. And when they do that, it really it helps get that sway out of there and gives them a little bit more coil so they can get back through the ball much more efficiently. And that, uh, you know, that's when you get to, you get the, the hips start sliding outside, and I really start with the ground first and try to build up to help them, pre, uh, you know, prevent that from happening. Yeah, um, well said. Um, Paul, I want, I want to just get into another uh, a swing, uh, a common swing fault here, just because uh, we've got a few more here to get through, and I want to just be mindful of the time. Um, but uh, is the reverse spine angle, and this is really um, has been categorized as really the number one cause of lower back pain in golfers. And just a very quick uh, uh, synopsis is the reverse spine angle is an excessive upper body backward bend or excessive lateral upper body uh, bend during the backswing, which of course makes it difficult to start uh, downswing in the proper sequence. Um, this is a biggie. Uh, and really, it, 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 the physical cause is really the ability to separate the upper body from the lower body and allow the shoulders to rotate around the spine without going uh, into a backward bend. So um, talk a little bit about that, Paul, and uh, and what we can do to, to avoid that. Uh, well, it definitely uh, creates a lot of problems in the golf swing. And, and on top of kind of robbing players of power, um, makes injuries much, much more likely. Um, so I mm-hmm. think, you know, in terms of the appearance of, what you want to see with a lot of with people you're looking at um, between five and 10 degrees of rearward tilt, you know, uh, I think at the top of the backswing um, is a good general guideline. Um, again, you know, there are things like uh vest that can really give you a great sense of, of how this should feel uh, of what the, or gears for that matter. Uh, Mike's got gears. Um, of what the proper amount of of, uh, of shoulder bend should be at the top of the backswing. Um, but, you know, a simple one would be, you know, put your head against, uh, against the wall, um, put your arms across your shoulders, and, uh, and make a, you know, a very just kind of a compact turn. Um, you should not feel your head going to the left. Um, and some people do. And that's an indication that you're you're in reverse spine angle at the top of your backswing. Um, right. So, you know, feeling feeling like your shoulders are turning more over your right foot, um, or for I guess for a right-handed player, uh, over your trail foot, I should say, um, 
and, and getting that sense that you're getting a little bit more behind the golf ball uh, would be a good, a good place to start. Yeah, and the thing you have to be careful, and that's, that's a great tip, because the thing you have to be careful of is what we were just talking about, and, and this is where a lot of golfers, you know, they, and, and, and Bill, you talked about this in the beginning about, you know, uh, people getting their butt out a little bit too much. Um, well, the same thing happens here uh, in this particular movement is a lot of golfers here, okay, well, I've got to sort of turn and get myself over that trail foot, and instead of actually turning uh, into, that, uh, into that position, they actually make a lateral movement and, and don't actually really turn very much at all, but they just move themselves into that position. And that's another uh, problem in itself. But uh, what do you see uh, in, in, your, um, in your teaching that, uh, that can uh, maybe help a little bit uh, with some of the golfers that maybe are, are doing that reverse spine angle? Yeah, and, and what we get is, you know, it, it's, that's a really a, a, a huge, huge issue with a lot of players. Um, you know, trying to keep their head down, trying to keep it too still in front of the ball, you know, it really creates some, some big issues, and that, that is, is a killer. One of the ways I try to explain it to players is get, get a sense that your spine is vertical to the ground, roughly speaking, and your hips are parallel to the ground. So we basically have um, perpendicular lines from your hips to your spine maintaining that through the swing in other words so your your trail side stays higher through the shot as opposed to you know extending on the way back and then compacting on the way through because what that does is it gets you into that into that position and you know by simply explaining it to players that way a lot of times it really it, it catches them the right way so they're really not thinking so much about any other motion it's keeping themselves um, you know, in a position that they're not going to compromise their back and still be able to get plenty of speed um, moving through the ball. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Well said, um, Mike. I want to I want to jump into the next one with you, if you don't mind. Just uh, you know, again, to to avoid being repetitive on this. Um, uh, probably, if uh, I would have thought this would would have um, matched up with the number one. Uh, swing fault but uh i think this is probably number two for sure and that's uh it's actually got three names it's referred to obviously as casting uh an early release or even scooping the ball uh they all refer to of course the premature release of the wrist angles during a downswing and through impact uh, much like as it's referred to uh, uh casting of a fishing rod uh myriad of issues can happen talk about uh, uh this beast if you will and uh, what are some drills or things that you do to try and help uh, some of your golfers uh, prevent this? Yeah, casting and scooping. Uh, you know, you're right with the handle going backward when you hit. It, uh, it's tough. A lot of times I'll take players when they have this kind of problem and take them over to the short game area and work on it that way. Help them make smaller swings so that they can feel like their hands are more in front of the ball when they hit shots. Um, I think sometimes scooping goes right along with, you know, reverse weight shift or hanging back at the same time. So, you know, those kinds of things, all of it kind of works together with each other, right? So um, that, and I see sometimes early extension too at the same time, and they swing the club across their body and scoop it. So, more often than not, we don't we don't see casting and scooping with a really good club passer, usually to the left no. for a right-handed player. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, right. and and 
like we talked about earlier, these things, you're right. You know, they work together. So if you have C posture, you're going to be doing that. You know, um, I, it's it's very difficult to get the golf club to be coming from the inside unless you stand up, you know, and then you bring in all kinds of other problems too. So, you know, short game definitely helps with the casting and scooping. If we can use the front of our, you know, shorter wedges instead of the bounce so much, um, you know, definitely help. Yeah. You know, uh, Paul, one of the things that I always try to equate with, with some of my students is, and I think of this is, you know, in the golf swing, there's several links in the chain and I, I refer to it as obviously a short chain. Um, and if one of the links in that chain uh, is either broken or defective, then that chain is not going to be uh, um, very sturdy and, and is not going to be able to support uh, the weight that you need. And much like in the golf swing, if, if an area, as Mike just pointed out, uh, you know, if there's uh, a dysfunction, if you will, in the lower body or hanging back, uh, this is going to cause, uh, you know, an, an ineffective downswing and, and cause some of the problems we just talked about. Um, so, Obviously, the key thing is to identify what the problem is, uh, where it's happening, and then working in some drills that are going to help the, the student uh, uh, overcome that. Uh, what are some suggestions that uh, that maybe you've uh, worked some success with your students? You mean for casting? Yes. Um, so I think a lot of times, uh, you know, casting comes from uh, wanting to kind of generate power with, with the hands from the top of the backswing. Um, and so feeling like um, you are starting the downswing by shifting your weight and allowing the club to fall uh, with relatively light grip pressure um, and getting a sensation for, you know, if you were to imagine, say, a, a house in your backswing and there's a, there's a wall, there's a floor, and then there's this kind of diagonal roof, if you go to the top of your backswing, you shift your weight and you just let the club kind of tumble down the roof instead of pulling it. Um, a lot of times that is a pretty helpful analogy for people. Um, and, you know, I think, um, I think grip pressure is such a huge thing. It's one of the things that I just see over and over again. Um, and so if you can get people, get somebody to, to loosen their hands just a little bit and swing the weight of the golf club uh, and feel it, falling like that uh it tends to help a lot yeah i i agree um bill just sort of piggybacking on that real quick and then we're going to move on to the uh the next uh, the last one here um you know a common thing that i see and i think it goes back to what you touched on the very beginning um again you know people sort of uh, over exaggerating a certain move or, uh, uh, you know, as you put out, uh, you know, sticking our, our butt out too far. I think the same can be said about uh, the club coming down uh, in through impact. I think a lot of people have been under this uh, and I've even seen videos of this where, you know, they'll talk about getting into a position at the top and just sort of pulling down on the handle, if you will. And I think people misunderstood that. And a lot of times you see uh, getting out of sequence. Uh, is this something that you've experienced as well with some of the students where, that, you know, they think that they've just got to really pull down on that uh, club handle in order to, to drive through uh, into impact? Yeah, you, you definitely do. And, and it, it just it steepens the angle of attack horribly. And as we know, that doesn't yep. do any, any good for anything. You know, one of the drills that I'll utilize with players to, to get that sequence a little better is I'll literally give them a 7 or an 8 iron 
have them split their hands. You know, we call it a, basically a hockey drill. So the the, the lead hand yep. or the left hand on the right player's up top and the um, other one's down at the bottom of the grip. And the thing is, with the flip or anything else or with a shift, if you're trying to pull, that won't. you're not going to be able to let that toe work, work over back to square. And that's one of the drills that I like yep. to use to help people get the sequence right because if things get out of whack, you're going to stick the pick in the ground a foot behind the ball or you're going to be falling backwards and sculling it, and it just isn't going to feel right. Then they get the, the idea of, of the angle of attack and how the, the closure of the face will work a lot better. Yeah, and you know, that's a great drill um, for a lot of things, Bill. I, I like that drill uh, as well, splitting, uh, doing a split grip like that. Um, you know, a lot of times if, if your timing or sequence is out, that's a great way to sort of groove that back in uh, by doing that. Because a lot of times when you take your, your traditional grip, um, if, if somebody's swing is out of sequence, a lot of times they don't feel it quite the same. But when you split the grip like that, I find that a lot of times, uh, at least it has for me over the years, uh, has really worked successfully. And, and I'm, I, I don't know about you, but uh, that's something that I'll do if I feel people have, getting, uh, have gotten out of sequence. Uh, I'll actually uh, refer to that drill as, as a way of sort of helping them to feel the natural transition. And also it gives instant feedback, as you pointed out. If they're not doing things correctly, uh, they're going to see instant feedback uh, and feel it uh, as well with that type of grip. Um, last one, Bill, take a deep breath. We're gonna, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, this one, of course, uh, for those tuning into the show, uh, I'm not referring something that you uh, are getting at your, your local uh, uh, drinking establishment, um, but the dreaded chicken wing. Um, we've all heard it. Uh, most of us know what it is. Um, Bill, why don't you start the conversation off, and then Mike and, and Paul, by all means, join in. Uh, first off, what is a chicken wing? And uh, and how do we uh, how do we overcome that uh, that beast? Yeah, the uh, basically real simple definition is the upper lead arm separates from the body, and and you would lose a connection there. Um, we see mm-hmm. this. I mean, this is common, and I mean, you even see some very good players that run into this issue. Um, one of the things that I see is is a root cause of this. Again, getting back to everything we say is is a bad posture and a ba- bad weight shift through the ball. If you're hanging back yep. at times, you add excessive pressure to that lead arm. Your left arm tightens or straightens. It'll pull away from the side uh, tremendously. One of the little drills that I've I've worked with players to do this to help them get that feeling back a little bit so that arm doesn't come away, especially when they're putting that excessive pressure on. In the trail fingers of the of the uh, uh, the lead hand, as Paul said, the grip pressure is horrible at times. I have them just grip yeah. the club with their index finger and their thumb, and basically take those last three off the club. It allows that arm to stay on the side, and it and it opens the shift up a little bit better too. That excessive pressure could actually I've seen it cause a little reverse pivot as well because it kind of you hit a roadblock as you're trying to move through the shot. It locks up and pushes you backwards. And, you know, that's yep. just an yeah, it, uh, you know, over an exaggerated example. But, uh, you know, in effect, that's what we see. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, Mike, what about you? Uh, I'm sure you've seen a few uh, chicken wings yourself uh, out in the golf yeah. course with some of your students. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure you could probably mirror a lot of what uh, Bill just talked about. But anything else you want to add about that? Yeah, so the grip pressure, definitely, for sure, grabbing out of the club too tightly and not allowing it to rotate the way it's supposed to go. But a lot of times I find chicken wings are the uh, what happens after. We're trying to hold the club face open because the club path is so far to the left 
and they're trying not to hit themselves with the golf club. I mean, that, you know, yeah. that's that's what we see when we're watching on gears, you know, with players or on video. Uh, you know, it's an after effect of them trying to play golf because they're swinging so far left, and and a lot of times they deal off to the club face, and it's a you know a learned behavior as well. So, you know, getting them to rotate the club face um, is a big deal, and, and getting that that uh, lead elbow to point more towards the ground instead of towards the sky. Uh, it's a big deal. Turn it over. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Well said. Uh, and Paul, finally, you know, I think uh, another thing that I see a lot of times that uh, ultimately can, can uh, bring out the, the best of, uh, of the chicken wing artists uh, is an actual <laughs> sudden stop in the, in the downswing. I've seen a lot of players um, that will come back with, you know, a pretty decent backswing uh, but for some reason, they just feel out of sync as they're coming down, and they'll actually uh, almost halt their swing a little bit uh, or slow it down. And as they come in through uh, their transition, as Mike just talked about, they sort of hold off. Um, so there, there's all kinds of things that cause it, but I'm sure, as the other two have mentioned, you've seen it as well. Uh, any, any final thoughts on the chicken wing and, and what we can do to uh, uh, just – keep it where it belongs. And that is on a nice uh, hot steaming plate uh, in our local uh, uh, beer establishment. That is a good place for it. I, I mean, it's hard to follow those two gentlemen. They, they did a great job, but I think it's, um, you know, uh, it's all, it's a byproduct of all of the things that they discussed. And one of the things that we all need to remember and, and know as a priority, I think in the golf swing is that you, your weight's got to be forward at impact. Um, and the club has to swing into the golf ball on a shallow diagonal plane. Um, and if, if you're not doing those things and if your grip is really tight and you're trying to steer the club, um, then, you know, the odds are that the club's going to be coming in steep, steeply and mm -hmm. uh, to the left. And then you're going to have to make room for it. Otherwise it's going to go into the ground and you may hurt yourself. Um, and so yeah. that's where, that's where that kind of reaction comes from. Um, and so, you know, shifting your weight early in the downswing, uh, keeping right. your grip pressure nice and soft, uh, feeling that club fall, like I said before, I think all those things would kind of eventually lead to a better impact dynamic, which will allow you to not have to chicken wing it. Right. You know, um, just on a final note, guys, then I want to give you just each a, a moment just to uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out to, to you either after the show or at some point in the future. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I think it's important to even review a lot of these common swing faults um, with the audience and, and with many of our amateur golfers out there um, and why we encourage people not to just you know, when they come for lessons to work on their game there or when they're at the golf course, but to do things while they're at home. There's all kinds of things that you can do, and I'm going to talk a little bit about with my guests here in, in uh, coming up in a moment or two uh, about some of the things that they can uh, help their students with at home uh, as well. But, uh, you know, doing a lot of these things, I think, make uh, can make a world of difference in how people uh, not only play the game but get enjoyment out of it. There's nothing worse than, you know, if you haven't picked up a club in a while and, you you know, the excuses come out of the mill room why you're not going to the golf course and working your game and you get out there and the first tee you're all over the place. So, um, you know, I think some of the things that we talked about are very common. 
swing faults, and you guys have given some great uh, cures and tips, if you will, to help the listeners out there. So I appreciate it as always. Um, I'm just going to go right down the line, Paul, Mike, and then Bill. Uh, Paul, where can the folks, if they want to reach out to you, uh, get a hold of you? Ted, thank you very much for having me tonight. Um, I'm the director of instruction at Forsgate Golf Academy. Uh, we have a website, forsgategolfacademy.com. I also have a, a personal website, which is paulcastergolf.com. Um, I'm, uh, in addition to TPI certified, KVEST, I'm also Aimpoint certified, so I'm looking forward to hearing your interview with James and, and uh, Mr. Sweeney Mark, in a few Mark minutes. Sweeney. And Yes, sir. Yep. Um, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, as always, Paul, I appreciate uh, your, your thoughts and input to the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, great discussion tonight, guys. Mike, uh, let the folks know how they can reach out to you and, and give us a quick update on the Mike uh, Faye Golf Show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm Mike Faye, the uh, Director of Player Performance here at the Boeing Golf Academy in Northern Michigan. Um, you can check out boinggolf.com or my website is mikefaygolf.com. Um, we did start a podcast. Uh, the Mike Fay Golf Show and, and starting in September once again in the wintertime we're going to be running the Ask the Pro Show on Twitter so you can follow me on all the social media networks and uh, thanks so much for having me on it was fun I appreciate it guys uh, as always and last but not least uh, Bill how can the folks reach you Yeah, you can get me the same way billabramsgolf.com uh, they can also reach me at 630 630- Nine two six four five five four. That's my direct line, and uh, that works in both Florida and uh, Illinois. So, again, Ted, thanks so much for this wonderful platform and opportunity to really help uh, people get some of the the organization to their game and being able to understand the information that's out there. I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing, and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks so much. Well, I Amen. appreciate it, guys, and thanks for yeah, thanks for doing a fantastic job here on the Coach's Corner panel, and I look forward to having you guys back. Uh, here again real soon with some more interesting uh, tips and training advice for uh, many of our students out there. So uh, thanks, guys. Have a great uh, weekend, and uh, I'll talk to you real soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. you. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. You too. All right. That was the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, Paul Castor, Mike Fay, and Bill Abrams on the show uh, talking about common swing faults uh, for the last hour. And now we're going to move on to uh, two other gentlemen that are going to be joining me here uh, just a moment, but let me just read a little bit about each of them. Uh, James College, you might remember, was on, uh, I think a couple of months ago, he was on with uh, some other uh, great professionals, and he is the PGA professional and owner of James Kyle Golf Academy. Uh, he was also the 2014 West Central uh, Chapter PGA Teacher of the Year and the 2012 West Central Chapter PGA Junior Golf Leader of the Year. Uh, also the 2011 U.S. Kids Golf Top 50 Teacher, uh, honorable mention, uh, and joining him tonight, uh, he's bringing uh, one of his good friends, Mark Sweeney, uh, the founder and developer of Aimpoint Golf and the inventor of the Aimpoint virtual putting line and the Aimpoint green reading method. Let me tell you a little bit about Mark, and then I'll bring uh, both uh, James and Mark on the show. Uh, Mark has uh, taught uh, over 100 tour players, including three of the world number one ranked players, as well as thousands of amateurs and teacher professionals in over 40 countries. Uh, he was named one of the best teachers in Florida by Golf Digest recently and was nominated for the 50 Best Teachers in America. Uh, he also won an Emmy, Emmy excuse me, in 2008 for the George uh, Wenzel Technical Achievement Award uh, for his Aimpoint virtual putting line, uh, which was shown on the Golf Channel uh, from 2007 up to 2012. So without further ado, uh, let me bring on James Kyle and Mark Sweeney. 
Thank you, Ted. Guys, welcome. Not a problem. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Glad to All be right. here. Guys, let's jump. Well, I appreciate it, and I apologize for the for the delay. We got a little bit uh, uh, tied up uh, in, in wrapping up the Coach's Corner panel, but uh, glad you guys patiently waited. Um, James, I'm going to start with you first, if you don't mind, and then, Mark, uh, I want to get into, obviously, some specifics about Aimpoint to let you uh, share with some of the listeners a little bit about uh, what the Aimpoint method is and so forth. But, James, I just want to start off real quick uh, with just a couple of questions for you, if that's all right. Sure. All right. I, I want you just to define what areas as a teacher professional and, and coach, uh, what areas do you find most difficult to teach and why? As far as the entire game? Yes. I would say the most difficult areas are uh, beginners who are just starting out and players that, uh, you know, haven't been on the golf course yet. Uh, they need a lot of training they need, you know, obviously to learn how to hit the ball, get it in the air. Uh, they learn how to hit short game shots. Uh, they typically at the very beginning struggle a lot with putting, uh, understanding how to control speed, and then, of course, learning how to read the green and understanding the right line. And once they have all that, uh, you know, of course, uh, typically they need a lot of repetition to, to believe what they're doing. So I would say, uh, you know, that that's what is the most difficult part for me as a teacher. And would you, right, would you say that those are obviously the, the key areas that you focus on in your academy is obviously it, it's difficult because of uh, some of the, the individuals that you're dealing with that maybe aren't grasping everything that you're uh, trying to explain to them. But is that also some of the key areas that you try to work with your students on? Absolutely. Whenever I see somebody new, uh, I typically... I try to develop a program where we may be together, say, for like 12 weeks. And during those 12 weeks, we cover everything that they would need to go out and play golf and not be intimidated to be with their friends or with their business associates or to play in small tournaments, charity outings, uh, just so that they're you know comfortable to go out there and not be afraid, really. Yeah, well said. Um, Mark, welcome to the show, and uh, I know this is the first time on, on uh, Golf Talk Live for you, and I know that you've had the opportunity to um, be interviewed many, many times. So let me just start off with, obviously, the most obvious and, and simple uh, question, just for those out there that might be listening that aren't familiar with Aimpoint. Uh, just give us a little bit of background. How did you develop uh, the Aimpoint method or system, uh, and what was sort of the, the methodology, if you will, behind why you came up with that uh, product? Uh, yeah, sure. The, the really short version um, is that in 2003, I, I basically wrote a software program that predicted how to um, putt on any golf green, on real golf greens. Um, so this goes way back, you know, 15 years or so. And it was a, a very sophisticated computer program. And over the course of the next 10 or more years, it basically boiled down to a very, very simple method that uh, any golfer could use. So in the beginning, it was really designed for a computer program and for TV um, but I learned so much about green reading, about how greens behave in general, that I thought there's got to be a way that we can apply this, this knowledge to uh, a regular golfer. And the original versions were a little bit complicated. They're very accurate, but a little bit complicated to use. Um, and then eventually right. kind of distilled it down to a very, very simple method um, that I was forced to distill it down because I had to teach a group of eight, nine-year-old kids. Um, and they said, <laughs> you can't teach angles. 
and you, you can't do anything. They haven't had angles in school yet, so they don't know what a 30-degree angle is. Um, and it was just kind of right. a bolt of lightning that we came up with the express method that we use now. And that you actually get the same answer um, within an inch or two of what the computer would tell you. Right. And, and what, a, what a great test, uh, you know, to, to have to get you to rethink that is to put you in front of uh, eight, nine-year-olds because you're right. You know, you've got to get yeah. it as simple as possible. And it shouldn't be difficult, really. Any, anything that you do on the golf course should be, uh, you know, simple and easy to understand because the more complicated, and I think this is one of the, in my opinion, I think this <clears> is one of the, the negatives in the golf industry is I think here in the last, and, and James, feel free to, to jump in, agree or disagree, but uh, I think this is one of the, the problems in the golf industry is that we've, uh, with all this technology that's come about, it's become very, very difficult um, James, you may have had students, and, and Mark, you may have had uh, individuals that you worked with that said, you know what, I just don't understand all this that technology that's coming out. I don't know how to use it. I don't understand it. Uh, is this something that, um, that you're seeing, James, in, in your academy uh, is just the, the overwhelming um, you know, issues that, that come about with technology? I would say that our younger generation, they are really excited about some of the technology that I bring out to the lesson T or to the putting green, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the older players who have been playing golf, you know, whether they're beginners or they've been playing for a very long time already, I typically, I might, you know, test them just to see if they would like to use some of the technology I have, but I would say they right. are more, they're not resistant to it, but it's sort of like some of the folks that we have, even like my grandmother, it took forever for us to get her a cell phone. And because she was right. so afraid to have a cell phone. And so, but the younger kids uh, now, you know, whenever I bring out some technology, they're so used to having technology at home that the excitement level is off the charts and they are, you know, beyond ready to learn. They can't wait to listen to the information and improve. And, you know, the reality is the improvements are, I wouldn't say instant, but in some cases it is, uh, and, and the, you know, they can't wait for their next lesson to use it again. That's really the truth. Yeah, and, and, and I'm a firm believer in technology. I think it's great, but I think um, one of the mistakes that I've seen o- over time, o- over these last decade or so, is that sometimes the coaches forget that the technology is really designed to help us um, gather information that can be better used to serve our students. And I think sometimes in the excitement of relaying that information to the students can overwhelm them uh too much data too much information and mark you made that point uh you know right from the get-go is is that you recognize that the the information is valuable and as accurate as it is was not going to work well in the marketplace um to be able to to move your your product out there so talk about the process of um as it is today um aimpoint express if you will what is the the process i know we don't have the the uh, availability of, of visual here, but and as best you can explain uh, the the process uh, of how endpoint works. Uh, yeah, it's actually pretty much a two-step process. You're you're trying to feel uh, with your feet how much side slope there is, um, and depending on the putt and how long it is, you know, there's a correct kind of place in the putt to feel it. But you're really feeling how much side slope there is because that is you know that is determining probably 95% of how much break you're getting. Um, the rest would be kind of uphill, downhill, grain, things like that. But the ball really breaks because it's tilted sideways. So all we're, do- all we're, all we're doing is putting a value on that, um, usually between one and three. And it just so happens that if you hold up one, you know, one, two, or three fingers to match your one, two, or three side slope, 
you get a mathematically correct break. Um, and that was, that was kind of a big shocking thing that we discovered on this is that, you know, why is that when you hold up one finger on a 1% slope, you actually get the right break. Um, it's just kind of lucky that, that it works out that way, but it actually matches the, the, the my computer program, which is about 150,000 lines long. Um, when you hold up your fingers, it, it matches it within about two inches from 20 feet. So it's almost an exact match. Wow. So, so you're really what you're seeing people do is they're, they're feeling slope because when you get down to less than 2% slope, um, you can absolutely feel it, but that's where your eyes start to really break down. Um, but everybody can feel 1% or less slope. Everybody I've ever taught in my life can feel it regardless of um, how much uh, experience they have or regardless of their age. It doesn't matter. Our, our brains are wired really, really well to feel tilt um, because that's what keeps us from falling down when we walk around all day long. Um, so we take advantage of that process. To, to simply apply that to green reading and say, if I have a you know, 1% side tilt on this putt and I hold up one finger, I'm going to get the right break. Now, exactly. just explain, <laughs> yeah, explain, yeah, explain to the folks um, the, the second step, if you will, with, with you know, your hand and holding the fingers up. Where are you? You're obviously behind the ball, is that correct? And then you're, you're holding it up. Um, where, yeah. where is your yeah, eye basically. line looking at? Well, basically, think of it this way. When you hold up your, your fingers in front of your eyes, you're essentially creating a launch angle. Um, so if you think about a launch angle with your driver or whatever angle that might be, every putt has a, a launch angle sideways rather than up in the air. You've got to launch it out to the side of the hole because gravity is going to turn the ball left or right depending on tilt. So when you're actually holding your fingers right. up, all you're doing is creating that launch angle, and the space you're covering with your fingers is how much the ball is going to move. So if you hold up your finger against – you know, the hole, we typically were holding up against what a flagstick would be. Um, that space you're covering with your hand is, is how much gravity is going to affect the ball. And the cool thing about it is it, it automatically scales out for the length of the putt. So obviously longer putts break more than shorter putts. Um, but because you're creating an angle with your hand, as you go farther and farther away, the, the, it still continues to match the effect of gravity. Um, so there, there, there's little fine-tuning things you can do on it, but essentially that's all you're doing is holding your hands up against um, where the flagstick would be. Right. And obviously the, the, the next component is obviously the speed of the, of the putt itself. Um, yeah. How do you decipher, how do you measure that um, through your system to, to help, uh, you know, guarantee success? Obviously uh, the system works well, and, uh, you know, you've been working with some, some top-ranked players in the world. Um, they obviously understand the method that you're, you're expressing here. So how does speed yeah. uh, come into the, into the equation? Well, speed, speed's a little more uh, difficult because your speed's going to change based on uphill, downhill, length, green speed, all sorts of things like that. Um, we can give pretty good guidelines, for instance, a fast downhill putt, what the effective length of it is. So you have a 20-foot downhill putt. Um, it might only play six feet or seven feet, and there's ways we can kind of help you with that. But speed's a little more developmental because every time the green speed changes, the effective ball speed is changing. Um, and so there's, there's a, a series of training we do to, to get the player to understand speed better, how to control speed, um, some of its tempo, um, some of its stroke length. Um, but it's not quite as clear cut as the break. I mean, the break is A plus B equals C. It's very, very straightforward. Um, speed is so dynamic that you really have to train the player to be able to react to different situations um, and it takes longer to develop. Yeah. And, and obviously um, James, as I'm sure you would attest to um, speed is something that really your students have to work on independently 
uh, of using this system. I mean, this is something that regardless of whether they were uh, adopting the, the aim point method, um, would have to work on their speed on, on the green. So talk a little bit about that, what you try to do. And I know that you're involved uh, as a, a, a certified instructor with Aimpoint. Um, first off, how you came about uh, um, getting involved and why you got involved uh, and how you try to incorporate that in your teaching. Well, how I got involved with Aimpoint uh, mm-hmm. yes. was just over three years now, which is mind-blowing, really. But I was watching, I know, right, Mark? (laughs) I was watching Adam Scott on TV, like at the Masters, and, you know, I was like, what is he doing? (laughs) And how could I not be know, how could I not know what he's doing if I have clients asking me? So at the time, I I found his website, and I reached out to another instructor that's in Florida and sent him an email, and he told me that I should reach out to Mark. And I did so, and... uh, you know, Mark, uh, it was really wonderful uh, whenever I asked him about being a part of it. Uh, you know, he wanted to know about me, and I gave him basically a full resume, and uh, he liked what he saw. And so he accepted me, and I went over, and, and the first day I went with, over with him, I mean, we were together, I think, eight to ten hours uh, yep. of time. I specifically worked with him at his home club. Uh, we spent the whole day mm-hmm. together, and... You know, for me, I tried to play professional golf in the late 90s and tried to get on tour. And, you know, I kind of, I'm sitting there like, wow, how could I have not known this? You know, no wonder I did not make the tour. And that's really how I came out of it is like, wow, I just couldn't, can't believe this, uh, what what I've just learned. And so, you know, nowadays, whenever I'm working with my players, I I have a, a lot of competitive juniors that I train. And when it comes to putting, um, every one of them that are competing in tournaments, I have trained them to uh, use Aimpoint Express. And I think since uh, in the last three years, the last I up till 2016, I think I'm averaging 13 tournament wins a year with my juniors who are using Aimpoint Express. So, and wow. even last year, it, it might've been close to 20 tournaments. Uh, one of my juniors who, uh, is 12 years old and made the high school golf team here in Tampa. Uh, he's probably going to hmm. play number one or number two, but he just came back from the U S kids worlds. And you know, the, the long and the short of it is, is that the players without a doubt, their putting stroke averages are down, you know, at 30 or just below uh, using Aimpoint express. And without it, uh, one of my college girls who's on a full ride at a college up North uh, prior to learning Aimpoint Express. Her scoring average was just above 75, and after Aimpoint Express, she was just above 72. And is on a full ride now and has won a college tournament already. And, you know, the the reality is is that it's unbelievable. Uh, The ones that I work with now, they they practice putting just about every day, you know, now that we have school, but uh, they practice, they're constantly practicing their fields, and, you know, their start lines and doing the right things. And, and when it comes to speed, uh, they've all been taught how to judge the uphills and the downhills and what to do. And, you know, they're successful. Yeah, and I think once you have, you know, it, it's like anything. I think once you have the, the proper tools, um, you know, to do anything in life, really, golf or otherwise, um, your success rate is going to increase. 
Um, Mark, what do you think, in your opinion, uh, up until now, and, and forgetting what you know uh, through through your method, what do you think was really some of the most misunderstood about putting for for the average amateur out there? What what are areas that gave them the most difficulty, and why do you think that was? And obviously, you can explain how your system has has been able to help, uh, uh, as as James just did, uh, see some some incredible results. Um, well, I, I would say the biggest thing I still see to date is people are always blaming their stroke for missed putts. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, you watch on TV and they miss a putt, and they say, oh, they pulled it, they pushed it, they did whatever. And in my experience, um, most people, and I mean most people, including a lot of tour players, don't read the greens that accurately. And if you don't read the, the if you don't know the target, it's really, really hard to have a good putting stroke. So the, the stroke actually disintegrates if you're a bad green reader. Because if you have a perfect stroke and perfect aim and you don't read the green right, you're going to miss every single putt. And as athletes, we're not going to allow that to happen. So, um, you know, green reading has to come first, in my opinion. You have to know what the target is. And if you know what the target is, then you know what your alignment is, and then you know whether you can return the face to to neutral. Um, But without a good read, just everything unravels. Um, And and what I still see the most of who people who don't understand aim point is they're constantly blaming their stroke and they're saying, well, you know, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll learn aim point after my stroke is good. And what they don't realize mm, is your right. stroke cannot be good. Your stroke cannot be good. If you don't, if you're not a good greener, it's not possible for it to be good. Agreed. Um, and so I hear that all the time and it just drives me crazy because, because they're putting it backwards. <laughs> the first layer of good putting is green reading and then everything else can layer on top of that very simply. Um, not the other way around. Yeah, and I equate it with, you know, driving a vehicle. I mean, you're not going to get into a car until you know how to drive first. And, you know, you're, you're right. They're sort of putting the, the proverbial cart before the horse. Um, James, let me ask you with respect to this. Now, obviously, you've uh, become uh, involved with Aimpoint and, and using it with your students and that. Um, what would you say to a professional a uh, fellow professional out there that maybe has not jumped on board yet. Um, what are some of the benefits that you've seen using it uh, other than what you've just mentioned? And uh, what would you say to, to your fellow professionals that maybe have not, uh, you know, jumped in the same uh, boat, if you will, as you have? I would say that uh, with the experience I've had to date with uh, some professional players, amateurs, you know, amateurs plus five handicap all the way to say 40 handicap that learning aim point express, whether you're a tour player or a 30 handicapper, you're going to learn the same thing. And the mind blowing experience is truly that what you thought you were seeing, you're technically guessing every time you're using your eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. and even now, whenever I'm working with players and, you know, I have lots of, especially the men, you know, Oh, I'm a good putter. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> let's, let's mm-hmm. put this putt here. And, and whenever yeah. <laughs> they go and they putt it and they miss it by 10 inches and, but in their eyes, well, I almost made it. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, you missed it by 10 inches. That's almost a foot. Yeah. So here's the reason <laughs> why is that the reality is, is that, Yes, you had a good idea that the ball was going to move to the left, but the reality is is that every time you're using your eyes, you are guessing. So the amount of movement there it is, you know, you you could get lucky, but the amount of movement unless you have something like what we provide, Aimpoint Express, 
you don't actually have the answer, but they they sometimes will fight you. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. oh, I know what I'm doing, but the reality is uh, they don't. So, you know, to say to, you know, my fellow pros, uh, the reality is, is that even professional professionals, I had a, a young lady that was playing one of the mini tours a couple of years ago. And whenever she couldn't believe, you know, wait, I have to aim there. And I said, well, yep. I said, you know, if you want the ball to come to rest <laughs> near the hole and, you know, like <laughs> many, many professional players, I think even Mark could share a stat on, you know, there's an old saying about pros miss high and amateurs miss low. And it's actually not true. Uh, typically most players, they don't ever play enough break and they, and, and therefore their, the ball speed is always much too fast. So they, they three putt because the ball is traveling too fast to begin with. And it was never on the right line. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is, is that it, it works. And, you know, every, I, I gave a guy a lesson last week, who's probably about a 15 handicap and, I always ask players, well, how much break do you think you see here? And they'll say, oh, well, it's one cup. And then they miss it, you know, 12 inches below the hole. And so, right. you know, well, 12 inches below the hole means it's like three more cups. Well, that's a lot of that's <laughs> a lot of what you thought you saw is not even close. And this is why, you know, if I can help you to realize that and then they feel more confident over the putt, um, you know, the handicap is coming down because they're not going to have as many putts as usual for sure. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, Mark, uh, since James brought it up, let, let's talk a little bit about the stats. Um, you know, you've obviously worked with a lot of tour players and that. What's been some of the feedback uh, that you've gotten with them as far as their, um, you know, their putting averages and, and so forth? What's, uh, can you give us any sort of numbers on, on what the, the difference was before Aimpoint and, and now that they're using Aimpoint? Can you give us maybe a general idea? With, with, uh, you don't have to name names, but just as an overall yeah, I mean, generally, when when people are using it, um, they they almost across the board get dramatically better. I mean, the the first player to ever use Aimpoint was Scott McCarron, and he was this goes back to probably oh seven oh eight, and he was right, you know, always kind of in the bottom twenty percent or so, and he went to the top ten in putting um, within nine months, I think, and I think it was top ten every year he was playing after that, um, and he used it religiously. Um, Ian Poulter was using it. He went he went from like one. 28 or something to fourth. Um, and then um, Adam Scott has improved. I mean, Lydia Coe was first in all putting categories last year. Um, and I think first or, and second the year before that. And she's used it for the last three and a half years or so. Uh, I think her first round tour was a, when she started using it. Um, so when the people who use it religiously, meaning they read every putt with it and it's just the way they do it, they improve the, the most by far. I mean, you'll see some players out that, that, there that kind of dabble with it. Well, they'll use it only on short putts or only on long putts or only when they're unsure. And they, they get better, but they never get the full effect of aim point, which is this is just yeah. how you get your number. It's like getting a yardage. You know, every time you have a shot, you get a yardage and you play your yardage. Um, well, aim point's the same way. And the more you do it, the better you get at it because you're constantly associating the feeling that you're getting uh, for slope with how much the ball breaks in with speed. And so it's really important that when people do it, they just, they keep doing it because that's what keeps them sharp. And that's what kind of glues everything together. Um, as far as juniors and amateurs, some of the, some of the results are just ridiculous. I mean, I get posts all the time on our private group about players who are, you know, 39 putts around and they're down to 30 or 31. Um, 
wow. juniors. You know, pretty much pretty much everybody who who we track gets down to about the thirty range. Um, I personally believe pretty much anybody can get down to about thirty putts. Um, and anybody obviously having more than thirty five or thirty six is just you know now we're starting to talk about three putts and it's just some really really off green reading and putting. Um, but I've seen across the board, I've seen huge increases. Yeah, and and you know what's interesting, guys, is this. You know when you when you go back to the amateurs for a second, and you consider how much of golf is played on the putting surface, why it just baffles the mind why so many amateurs are are over at the the practice tee working on their drives or their long irons or their their hybrids or what have you, yeah. and spend very very little little time. Uh, at an area, James, I mean, you know, what do you do short of bonking them on the head and saying, you know, smarten up? Uh, what do we need to do to, to get people to realize that uh, that this is where they should be practicing their golf? Honestly, Ted, I'm not sure that's even possible. <laughs> All year long, whenever, yeah, right? You know, it's like, you know, yeah, right. you lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Uh, right. It's amazing. Every year, whenever I get new clients who come to me and they're like, okay, I, let's fix my whole game. And, you know, I want to buy new clubs. I want to do all this stuff. And when it comes down to the putting, I, I, you know, it's like week 15 before we're finally working on putting. And I bring up this one guy again. I've been training now since about January. And he actually drives about 45 minutes to see me from South Tampa and we're really, we're having a great time together. And literally since January, we've been working on his full swing down to his wedge game. And a couple of weeks ago, he finally came over. He goes, all right, let's, we're going to do level one and level two aim point, you know, short putts and long putts. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. Because I already know (laughs) that, you know, the results, you know, if he's, if he's shooting 85 to 90, I already know that we're going to drop five strokes uh, in my mind. And, and not to say that's a guarantee, but I just right. know, you know, with the players I've trained, you know, what happens right after. And I even thought about sharing his quote, but he, he responded, he goes, I can't believe we waited until July <laughs> to do the putting. <laughs> and then he actually gave me a testimony and he says, he goes, I'm actually more happy with all that I've learned from the putting than I was with the full swing. So I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he's actually, his putting game is superior uh, to the rest of his game. And the rest of his game is a little bit better, but nothing like what he improved in putting. So it's kind of funny. You know, Mark, it, it, it and James, you're exactly right. I mean, this is, um, you could write a book on, on what you just talked about because it's so true with so many, it doesn't matter whether they're corporate clients or whether you're, you're you know, 25, 30 handicap uh, amateurs out there. Uh, they're all the same. They, you know, they work at it backwards. Mark, in a perfect world, um, if a student was coming to you, uh, are you going to start them on the putting green first and work the other way? Or, or what do you think uh, needs to happen in the industry? Well, that's an easy question for me because I only teach putting. Um, I don't teach. I don't teach anything else. Uh, the, the reality is, um, number one, I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of amateurs don't practice putting because they don't get any better from practicing putting because they don't really know what they're doing. I mean, I I practiced um, when I first moved to Florida. I was playing tons of golf and my putting never got any better. So I felt like it was kind of useless. Whereas, you know, you you certainly don't want to be losing balls and 
hitting balls OB. So you kind of spend more time on that. I mean, the putting's never terrible, but you never, really, I never really got better either. And I think that's the way a lot of amateurs think. Um, I know a lot of my friends think the same way. They're like, well, what's the point of, I just, I'm going to put the same no matter what it seems like. So why would I go kill myself hitting balls? It's not really practicing. It's just kind of hitting balls on the putting green. Um, what I would, whatever I do with putting kind of depends on the player. I mean, if they're very, very high handicap, I would tend to do speed first um, because the read is so yeah. easy. You know, it's really hard to misread by more than a foot, but it's, it's obviously very, very easy to miss the speed by more than a foot. So I'd go speed first. Um, if it's a tour player, then we kind of make sure the read is good. And then you have to kind of quickly get into aim and line and speed and kind of melt it all together. Um I don't know. I think I think it'd be very hard to just start with putting with somebody who came for golf lessons, though, because I think I think that's not what they're expecting. Right. No. And and yeah. And James, he's right. I mean, you know, it, it's yeah. in a lot of golfers' mind, it, it's not. Ex, you know, and let's be honest, it's not exciting for for a lot of golfers. They they want to you know grip it and rip it. Uh, thanks to John Daly and others out there that, and you know Bubba Watts and some of these other big uh, long drive uh, hitters. Um, it, it's not, I'll even throw the term out. It's not sexy in, in some people's eyes, but the truth of the matter is, um, if you look at the top players in the world, if you look at their putting stats compared to the guy that's 150 something down the line, um, that's usually where you're going to see the biggest difference. Correct. That's correct. So, you know, well, I, I think Mark. that, right. Mark, would that be an accurate statement do you think that well yeah i mean i mean there's always there's there's always guys who jump up and win who are not statistically good putters but they're usually you know they'll win once a year they'll win here and there they'll kind of keep their card but if you look at the you know the guys who are really consistently good week in and week out um yeah i mean you you need to be a good putter because the the long game kind of comes and goes and it cycles um i did a study a number of years ago what basically said how often to somebody get a top 10 and the best players throughout, not including Tiger, cause he was every single week, but the next best players behind him, it was like Furyk and Mickelson at the time. It was about every four to five tournaments, but your average player got a top 10, like every 23 tournaments so the long game, right. You know, cycles up and down, but you, but you, when you're hitting a good cycle with your long game, your putting better be there, you know? So you really need yes. your putting to be there good every single week. So that when your long game catches up and you're hitting it, well, that's when you really take advantage and, and make your money. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, you don't very often, I mean, again, it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but very seldomly do you see um, a player whose long game is on, but their putting stinks comes out and wins the tournament at the end of the week. Um, I mean, it, it can very, happen, very you know, depending on, yeah. right, exactly. I mean, depending how the, how the rest of the field, I mean, the rest of the field has to be playing pretty bad golf themselves um, and, and, you yeah. know, but, uh, is, you know, and Augusta is a good example. I mean, there's lots of guys that, that may not necessarily be in the middle of the fairway every time, but their game around the green is so good that they're able to compensate for bad or missed shots uh, throughout the round. And ultimately, you know, we've seen that over the years as well. I mean, even, uh, uh in the last few years, we've seen some players that, uh, have, have stumbled a little bit around Augusta, but their putting uh, held them held them strong, and you know ultimately went on oh, to yeah, win or, or certainly fin- finished top, right? Yeah, I mean just just putting well inside ten feet can make up for massive errors um, with long game, you know, because kind of four to four to ten feet is really your par save area. So if you're missing greens and 
and pitching on and trying to say par, you know, there's a lot of four, five, six, seven footers in there. And if you're not putting well, you're dropping all those shots, you know, and right. if you are putting well, then, then, then uh, it's, it's amazing what it can do for your, for your score. So let's talk about, yeah, you're exactly right. Let's talk about the process uh, of becoming uh, Aimpoint uh, certified, if you will. What's the process? What's involved for, for those that maybe aren't at this point? What do they need to do and, and how does it work? Uh, Mark, I'm going to go with you, and then uh, okay. James, go ahead and. Yeah, the, the certification process is basically um, you'd have to get in touch with me because we don't, I don't, I don't have an open certification, meaning I don't just certify everybody and anybody who asks. Um, we really kind of do a screening process and try to get the right instructors because my philosophy is I'd rather have um, high quality versus loads of quantity. Um, sure. So basically. Um, there's a little bit of a screening process and application. Um, if you're accepted, then I do a full day training in Orlando that gets you a level one certification, which basically means you understand all the fundamentals, um, all the way up, you know, single breaks, double breaks, long putts, short putts, um, and how to teach it because there, there's definitely a skill to teaching it um, simply and effectively. And the thing about Aimpoint is it's actually so relatively easy that a lot of people want to take it and overcomplicate it. And as soon as you overcomplicate it, you kind of dilute its effectiveness. So you've really got to kind of turn off your analytical brain and say, here's all you do. You do, you do step A, you do step B, and you're finished. And there's nothing more to it. Um, so there's quite a bit of work done on that, just how, how to teach it well. Um, and then, so it's basically a full day of training once you're accepted. Right. And then what about level two? What's, uh, what's the next step? So level two is after you've um, been certified for a certain amount of time and taught a certain number of students, I come and do an audit. Um, so I'm actually doing one tomorrow where, where I'll go watch the instructor teach. Um, they've got to teach the whole class, and I'm, I'm taking notes and auditing and giving feedback and making sure that they really know all the concepts inside and out. And then I'll do some uh, additional training with them, you know, kind of the more advanced concepts, um, more advanced calibration and, and um, the things we do kind of with the, at the tour level how to cut, put the pieces together for, for a more advanced player. Um, and then that gets them to level two. Um, James, in, in, in your um, view of things, do you see the, the process in, in obviously teaching uh, the endpoint method, um, the simpler, the better in, in, in uh, working with your students and, and so forth? Is that, you know, uh, as Mark had just sort of pointed out, is making sure they're they're teaching the, the methods and and so forth in in the proper sequence and and uh, you know sort of overcomplicating the the process. Is this something that that you try to be conscious of both for yourself and also when you're working with your students? Absolutely. You know, it's important uh, whenever you're working with them that you you know follow the teachings you know step by step, and uh, because you know if if you don't, you'll end up uh, where the students might be confused on what they're learning. So the reality is that, like Mark said, you know, the process is, uh, you know, is simple. And if you stick to the plan and do it right, uh, your players are literally putting it into play as soon as they're done with the class. I mean, they could literally go right out to play golf and use it right then confidently and get results. Uh, it's, it's, as long as you stick to it, it's perfect. And and how much, James, this is again for you, James, how much time mm -hmm. uh, on average with a student um, for the first time, how, how much time are you dedicating, uh, you know, 
going through the, the Aimpoint method, and is this something that you work on each time you're with that student, or is it sort of a one-shot deal where you know you talk to them about it, to, you know, let's say tomorrow, um, and then they they run away with the concept and 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 you know sort of work on it on their own, or do you sort of do like a refresher as you go along throughout their sessions? Yeah, there are some. You know, uh, for me, uh, you know, once the the player is taking the class, like level one, level two is two hours long. And whenever okay. they're done with those two hours, you know, which is uh, short putts and long putts and double breaks, uh, they're ready to play. And, uh, you know, there are, I do have many clients who come back for refreshers. And, of course, uh, lots of my players that I see often uh, because of the way their program is set, programming is set up with me. Uh, so I follow up with them a lot, especially my competitive juniors. Uh, so they're continually, you know, working on their aim point, uh, sometimes every week. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, after the two hour class, uh, no matter what the level of golfer is, they're ready to use it, ready to go out and play a tournament and, uh, and be confident with it for sure. Mark, let me ask you sort of a separate question here. Um, you know, this is something actually a, a student asked, um, a while ago, but I thought since you were going to be on the program, I'd ask you this, you know, obviously posture is important uh, in, in the golf swing. Um, but what about in the putting stroke? Uh, you know, we see a lot of different approaches to putting, obviously some of the younger players and, and young guns on the tour today have very similar looking putting strokes. But if you go back 20, 30 years ago in the days of Nicholas and Palmer and that, you know, you had all kinds of different postures. Is that as important as what you're teaching for a golfer to have, a certain posture or as long as they have the basic fundamentals of the putting stroke down, um, you know, they can pretty much have their body in any shape or, or form that they want. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts are once your read is good, um, I, I'm not a believer that there's a single posture, not even by uh, a, nowhere near um, a believer in that. So people, what you learn very quickly is we do aim point first and they learn the read. And then the, then the next question is, okay, can you point your putter where you want to point your putter? About 97% of people can't do that. And posture has a huge effect just on aim, just to begin with, before we even get the stroke. Um, a lot of times right. you'll see players who set up like Jack Nicholas because that's how they see mm-hmm. a straight line. That's how they can aim their putter where they need to. Then you get people who are set a very kind of standard um, head position, um, and that's how they see a straight, straight line. Some have their heads down, some have their heads up. Um, they do that for a reason, and you have to kind of figure out how a player points the putter the best he can, and then the next piece is can you, reach, can you make your motion, make your stroke, and return it to the same place. Posture will kick in on that also, but there's, it's absolutely 100% individual. Um, and what works perfectly for one player of mine would destroy another player, absolutely destroy their ability to putt well. Um, so you've got to be very careful of that. So any, anytime I ever hear somebody saying, well, I've, I hear that you're always supposed to have your eyes here, your head here, your whatever. Um, right. you got to be really – I mean, that's just – that's just. there's a 90% <laughs> chance you're going to be wrong on that. You know, maybe 10% of the people it's going to work for, and 90% it's going to destroy them. So, no, right. there's not one single posture, 100%, no chance. Yeah. James, let me get you to sort of jump on that as well. Um, let me just rephrase it a little bit differently. How do you decide, um, and again, obviously everybody's different, but uh, how do you decide, you know, as, as Mark just pointed out, somebody like Nicholas that, that you know, adopted a certain posture because he needed to, to view the, the, the line a certain way and then a different player does something different. How do you work with a player and decide what is actually going to work best for them? What, what's the process in, in your opinion? 
Well, I mean, exactly what Mark just said. So especially with my junior golfers, you know, once they know how to read and then we're trying to see whether or not they know where the putter is aiming, uh, depending on where that is, you know, I, on occasion, you know, I might move them, you know, further away from the ball, maybe further over the ball. Right. Sometimes I actually had a person recently, their prescription lenses that they were wearing on their eyeglasses, I had to actually tilt their head down a little bit more. And once I did that, the line that they believed that they were putting, you know, with a putter face on was actually correct. And, you know, so it's little tiny details like that with each individual player. Uh, the beginners, you know, lots of players, you're not sure. They kind of just stand to the ball. Most of them, uh, especially early players, they're standing, you know, what you might call way too upright and erect. Yep. So, you know, you're just trying to, you kind of let them putt first. You you find out whether or not the, a key, like Mark said, where they think they're aiming the putter because, oh, my gosh. Uh, it's amazing too, you know, the fact that they, you know, the players, they, they don't have a good putter to begin with. And then whenever they're laying the putter face down and they think it's aiming in the middle of the hole and it's aiming 12 inches left. So they have no chance, you know? So once we're working with somebody, you know, that's what we have to do. We have to assess that and move them around until finally they're, you know, what they believe they're seeing is actually what they're seeing. You know, and sometimes that, that takes more than just one lesson. I'm sure Mark would agree. You know, some some of my players, it takes a few weeks to figure that out. Yeah, right. it takes constant maintenance, too. I mean, I mean, my what I right. try to do with any competitive golfer is get them aimed less than one degree off. You know, very, it's very hard to get them dead perfectly straight. But if you can get them less than one degree, that's inside what I would call their your, your tolerance that we want for a competitive golfer. Um but yep. every time they change anything, I mean, I'll, I'll have a player who's just absolutely nailed their aim and nailed their stroke and everything's good. And they go away for three weeks on tour and they come back and it's, and they're two degrees off. And well, what happened? Well, I changed my putter. I changed my grip. I changed my setup position, my ball position, my head position. Any of those things <laughs> will, can change your aim. And so, yes. so it, it's literally <laughs> takes constant maintenance. Um, I would say, you know, twice a week as a competitive golfer, you've got to be checking your aim. Um, and making sure you're pointing it where you want, because, you know, if you're aimed one degree off, you're missing by about nine feet, you're missing. Um, right. You know, which it does, it sounds like that's awfully tight, but you know, with, with anybody who's trying to make money on tour, you better be less than one degree off or you're going to, you're going to be missing eight, nine, 10 foot putts. And it's going to make you really, really frustrated when you hit your shot to 10 feet and you miss every single one of them. Yeah, and and you know, as I said uh, a little while ago, I think a lot of people misunderstand the importance of of putting. And obviously, Aimpoint has has developed a method that um, not only works but is obviously easy um, for golfers to to adapt to. And it just boggles the mind why you know somebody would not want to um, you know adapt a system yeah. that's going to help them score better. And and obviously, you know, as I said in the, the opening uh, you know intro, you're you're obviously uh, working with you know uh, literally thousands of amateurs and teacher professionals in, in over 40 countries. Um, what's been some of the feedback on that area as far as um, you know? Is there a, a next level that you're working on, or what's next um, for Aimpoint? 
Um, the biggest thing now is, I mean, the, the read is so good right now. There's really, uh, you know, for the first time in probably 15 years, I'd say there's really no room for improvement on the read. Um, I mean, there's, there's no putt that I feel like we don't get a really good read on, um, but it took until probably mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, starting in 03, before I felt that way. So now it's kind of putting everything together, which is, okay, we know you're reading it well, but that's not enough to be a great putter. So I had some students who were absolutely great green readers, and they were still missing. And they're missing because their aim was off, their motion was off. Their motion meaning, you know, they'd aim it well, but they'd shut the face or they or open the face right. or block it or whatever. Um, and then speed. I mean, the final kind of frontier for that is speed control, and that takes constant development. And I've spent a lot of time on that in the last year or so. Um, and then, and then mostly now what I'm doing with competitive golfers is, okay, how do you train all those skills? Because it's, you know, golf is so multidimensional, just in putting, you've got to be able to, you know, read the green, aim your putter, move your putter, control speed, blah, blah, blah. And you've got to, um, you've got to train all that. So we're really, um, are developing programs that allow you to train all those skills and monitor that so that you can put all the pieces together. So it's really about assembling all the pieces versus just saying, you're a good green reader now, good luck, because that's not enough. You know, yeah. some players, if you're lucky and they, everything else is good, they can, they can take that and go off running and they do great. But most people need to still put a few more pieces together. Um, and that's what I spend probably 90% of my time doing. What area, Mark, uh, let me just, uh, this final question for you. What area, Mark, do you find um, when you're dealing, because obviously you're dealing with a lot of tour players, and I'm assuming – um, that you're dealing with with players on a variety of different tours, not just uh, the, the younger tours, but maybe even the Champions or the Legends Tour, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, is yeah, is definitely. there yeah is there a certain area of your method or uh, in putting in general that sort of gaps the ages? Now I'll give you an example. Do you find that the younger uh, tour players tend to be better with their aim? Um, but it's more of a speed issue for them. And do you find some of the more seasoned or, or I hate to use the word older, but uh, veterans of the game uh, are, are, have more difficulty with the aim portion. Where, where is there a difference or, or are they both pretty much the same on, on, on uh, either side? No, no there's, I, I would definitely say there's a difference. I would say with the, um, the more seasoned players, they tend to have better speed, but they, their, their, their motion, and their mechanics tend to be very hardwired. Whereas with a younger player, you know, if they're doing something that's causing the face to close, you can usually fix that pretty quickly. Whereas with a more experienced players, they just move the way they move, you know, and it's very, very hard to rewire that. So, yeah, so it takes a little more um, digging to kind of figure out how to put, put the pieces together. So you have somebody has got, got great, great read. Now they aim it great. And there's always shutting the face one degree. So what's the answer is the answer is let them aim one degree, right. And let them shut the face or come up with a way where they neutralize that one degree closed face because they're, they really, really want to move the putter a certain way. And it's very hard to undo that. And, and to me, that's the biggest yeah. challenge is you take somebody who's been playing golf for 30 years, putting a, you know, a certain motion for 30 years, and you're trying to squeeze that last one degree of accuracy out, <laughs> but they're, they're not really willing. A lot of times they'll just tell you, I'm not going to change my ball position. I'm not going to change this. I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. You know, and they'll tell you. I mean, I've had a player say, I've, I've aimed left my whole life. I don't care. I'm not going to fix it. Okay, well. Right. And <laughs> you know, we've got to figure out another way to work around that, then, I guess. <laughs> thank, yeah, thank you very much for playing. And, uh, unfortunately, yeah, we don't have a prize for you today. Yeah. Um, James and Yeah, you know, I mean, you just kind of hit a wall sometimes <laughs> with that. <laughs> and, and that's going to happen. Yeah, and, and, James, I know on, on the full swing, of course, we see this all the time. 
you know, somebody has been, especially some of our, our, our more seasoned golfers that have been playing for, you know, 30 years or, or better. Um, I, I know, especially down here in Florida, we see this all the time. They, you know, snowbirds come down here and, you know, they want to connect for a lesson or two and, and just a, a tune up. And I mean, there's just no way you're going to change them. Um, so, you know, you obviously have to work sometimes with, with what you can and, and do the best that you can. But, uh, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Mark's exactly right. I mean, they're just, they're just not going to change and there's nothing you can do about it, but, uh, you just do the That's best correct. you can. Um, James, any, any final thoughts or comments that you, you want to make uh, on, on tonight's discussion? And, uh, I, I know we didn't talk as much about, uh, what you do specifically at the Academy. I'll have you back on to do that, of course, but, uh, uh, I, I wanted to give both of you an opportunity to talk about uh, Aimpoint because I know that you're both uh, uh, Mark, obviously being the CEO and founder, but uh, James, I know because you become involved in it and, and believe in the the uh, method uh, soundly. Uh, I wanted to uh, to give you an opportunity to really focus on that tonight. But any any final thoughts or comments that you want to make uh, before we uh, close off? I would say that uh, you know I would hope going forward, you know, every day that I go in that players will eventually uh, consider learning to uh, not only read the green the right way with aim point, uh, but just all the things that goes with it. Like Mark said, uh, lots of players are always focused on the full swing, which is great. You know, obviously you want to, you need to leave the tee box and get the ball down the fairway and get to the green. Uh, But, you know, when it comes to, you know, getting around the green, so many players, you know, they spend the least amount of time on the part of the game that you actually use the most strokes on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, having that opportunity, you know, usually it takes me, like I said, a little bit ago, uh, it takes me a little while to finally get somebody to let me show them a little something on the green, whether I give them a little test uh, about reading something uh, and then they realize, wait, what a minute, you know, I didn't realize it was going to move that much. And so, you know, that's, you know, obviously every day you look forward to trying to make a difference. Uh, I can tell you this, you know, and, and I've probably told this to Mark before, but, you know, since I've been a part of the Aimpoint family, you know, it's really been life altering, uh, you know, during the year because of what I've learned being a part of Aimpoint, uh, it right. literally is probably 25 to 30% of my entire teaching business. So, wow. you know, and, and, you know, being able to provide my clients with that type of experience and, you know, you've got lots of happy people, happy parents, you know, junior golfers are winning tournaments. Uh, so, you know, it's really hard to put a price on that. And, you know, I look forward to continuing doing it really. Yeah, and and you know it sounds like obviously you've got a winning formula there, and and that's that's the way to go. Um, Mark, just a final question for you, and then and then uh, excuse me, we'll we'll wrap up here. But um, uh, of your your students that you work with uh, with Aimpoint and that, um, would you say that the the ladies uh, fare better than the, than the men, or is it about evenly proportionate? As far as learning, the, the um, method, do you think that the, the ladies work better at it, uh, adapt it much easier than the guys? I think they're more open to learning it. Um, the, the, the lady golfers, especially LPGA, kind of at any level, they tend to be more open-minded to learning something that they haven't done before, whereas the guys tend to be a little more right. hardwired to, you know, they're making a million dollars on right. tour, and so they become more risk-averse about learning new things. Um, so I'd say they're more, the, the women are more open to coming and learning, um, as a pro golfer and experienced golfer than the men are, but 
you know, once the once the guys get it, then they they kind of latch their teeth in also. So it takes them a little bit longer to kind of actually right. take the first step and learn it and dabble with it. Um, but then they then they think then they see the the results. And the the reality is, is, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever seen anybody get worse from main point. There's people who have gotten dramatically right. better. Um, but the worst that's going to happen is you're going to stay the same if you decide not to use it, but it can't actually hurt you. Whereas, you know, you go to the wrong swing right. structure, it can hurt you. Um, it's not sure. possible for that to happen with any point. Like there's, cause you're not, you're not changing anything. You're just giving them information about how the ball breaks. Um, so yeah, we're getting there. I mean, there's, there's always new guys coming online on tour who, who start dabbling with it and seeing some success and they'll go a little deeper and a little deeper on it. Um, I think in, you know, a couple of years time, you'll be, probably shocked by how many how many guys are using it well if, yeah. certainly if they're smart they will and and i, I agree with that um mark very quickly um for those that want to learn more about uh aimpoint and and the system and that uh where can they go to get more information and then james um where can the folks uh go to to reach out to you uh yeah just go to uh, the website aimpointgolf.com um there's instructors uh, all over the world on there that yeah uh, if you're going to learn it Learn it from a certified instructor because you're going to learn it the right way. Um, don't just ask somebody because I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff out there that are not true that people have learned <laughs> from friends. So just learn it the right way right. the first time, and it'll save you lots of aggravation. <laughs> but uh, website you can find yeah, pretty much everything you need on there. Perfect. And, James, if the folks want to reach out to you as well, how can they go about doing that? I am uh, My home base is at a club called Eastlake Woodlands in Oldsmar, Florida. And uh, my website is jameskylegolfacademy.com. And uh, that's where you can find me. Thanks, Ted, so much for having us on. Not a problem. And, uh, James, I'm going to get back to you. Um, I know you emailed me before the show um, in response to the Coach's Corner. I know you want to participate in that. And I'll get back to you uh, following the show about the dates and so forth. But, um, James and and Mark, I want to thank you for, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a very interesting discussion uh, I've certainly learned a lot, and uh, I hope the listeners uh, as well have learned a lot. And, and don't forget to go to their respective websites uh, to get more information on uh, Aimpoint and also uh, the James Kyle uh, Golf Academy. Guys, uh, thanks again, and, and uh, I look forward to hopefully having you join me again uh, on a future show. All right, thanks a lot. All right, have a great weekend, guys. You too. Thank you. Good night. All right, it was my very, excuse me, my very special guests, uh, James Kyle and Mark Sweeney. Uh, Mark, of course, the founder and CEO of Aimpoint, and uh, James uh, is also a certified instructor of Aimpoint uh, and a, a PGA professional and owner of the James Kyle Golf Academy. Uh, again, make sure you visit uh, both of their respective websites and uh, to learn more and, and gain more information. But uh, I want to one more time just thank the Coach's Corner panel, Paul Castor, Mike Fay, and Bill Abrams. Uh, for doing such a great job tonight on the panel. And hopefully if you uh, tune into the second half of the show, uh, you learned a little bit about uh, Aimpoint and, and the system as well. Um, thanks, guys, for doing a great job. Uh, but most importantly, thank the listeners out there uh, worldwide for faithfully tuning in each and every week here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, we certainly uh, I enjoy uh, bringing uh, a lot of uh, highly talented coaches, teacher professionals, authors, and, and of course, entrepreneurs uh, that have stopped by over the last several years. And it's really uh, I, I can't emphasize enough, it's really through their participation and guest appearances that help make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a special thank you to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Jonathan Laird uh, from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com to learn more about the guide. Uh, Meredith Kirk, go to meredithkirk.com uh, uh, 
she's a great teacher professional in, in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you for your support. Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, Sean Kelly, owner of LinkedGolfers.com. And of course, uh, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you for all your continued support, uh, support and, uh, and uh, well wishes of the show. On that note, everybody, I will see you next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.